Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We are commanded to greet one another with a holy kiss five times in Scripture. However, it's something we don't practice, and there are reasons for that. One of the deep reasons is that it takes community in theory and makes it community in reality. You're listening to Greet One Another with a Holy Kiss by Reverend Peter Yonker. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, verses 11 through 14. That's found on page 1805 in your pew Bibles. And for those of you who are visiting, we're continuing a sermon series on the one another's of the New Testament. The New Testament is full of statements about one another, ways in which we as Christian people are supposed to treat one another. And together they form a kind of curriculum for community. Today's one another is a little different. It's greet one another with the holy kiss. Um, Those of you who are evening service goers, blessed be your name, um, you may remember that four years ago I, I preached on this text in the evening um, I certainly remember it because afterwards several of you tried to kiss me as, as you left, <laughs> which was traumatizing for me and unforgettable for both of us, I'm sure. So just if you were one of those people, this is a very different sermon. I've completely reworked it, so rest assured. Let's hear the word of the Lord from the very end of the book of Second Corinthians. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So back in 2015, I went to Cuba. I visited Cuba with members of the Cuba Committee of our church. Um, It's something the Cuba Committee does just about every year, and it's wonderful. You get, we go, and uh, it was great to see this, this culture. Not everybody gets a chance to go to Cuba. I got a chance to go to Cuba. And one of the best things about it was that we got to visit these churches that, uh, these little tiny gatherings that our church has been sponsoring since the 1950s and to see the faith of the Christian people there. It was a wonderful experience. As I said, the Cuba Committee goes every year. If, if you ever get a chance to go, you should go. But if you do go, let me warn you, the Cuban people are kissers. The Cuban people do not favor the restrained greetings of Northern Europe. Okay, the wave, the curt nod. They will embrace you and they will kiss you. So I would be standing in the narthex of these little churches and these older women would be coming towards me and I knew they were not coming in for a handshake. <laughs> and so, I, and it was, it was really hard for me because you, just, you don't know what to do, right? You don't know what to do with your hands. You don't know how to hold your head. Um, and you don't know... Is this an actual kiss on the cheek, or are you just sort of kissing the air beside the cheek? It was stressful, so if you do go, uh, I suggest you study up. (laughs) 
The Apostle Paul would not have needed to study up. Because it's very clear that the churches that he was writing to were more like the churches of Cuba in the way they greeted each other than they were like the grave church. It's right there in verse 12. Greet one another with the holy kiss. When you meet together and you see each other and you greet each other, greet one another with a holy kiss. And it's not a suggestion. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's not Oh, you know, if you feel up to it, you can kiss each other. Or, you know, if you're demonstrative, if kissing's your thing, feel feel free. But if that's not you, then don't worry about it. No. Kiss, greet one another with the holy kiss. Do it. And then there's this. Do you know how many times this instruction is given in the New Testament? Five times. Five times we are told to greet each other with a holy kiss and of 1 Corinthians, and of 2 Corinthians, and of 1 Thessalonians, and of Romans, and it's not just Paul. At the end of Peter's first letter, he says the same thing. Five times, greet one another with the holy kiss, which begs the question, why don't we do this? Can you think of anything else that is commanded and instructed five times in the New Testament that we essentially ignore? Because we could do this, Now, we're not currently shaking hands at the back of the sanctuary after the service, but when that starts again, we could skip right over the handshake and go straight to the holy kiss. Would you like that? Me neither. (laughs) But still, right? Five times. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? If there was anything else said in Scripture five times, we would do it. Why don't we do this? Clearly, The Holy Spirit, through Paul and Peter, is trying to communicate something to us. There's something about this ritual of greeting people with a holy kiss that forms community, that forms one another. And of course, times have changed, and maybe it doesn't take the same cultural form, but there should be some form of this where we act in obedience to Paul's instruction. What form would that be? Well, to answer that, I I want to do two things. I want to first get a sense of scripturally what it means to greet one another with a holy kiss. And then I want to look at how through history the church has tried to fulfill this command. When you read through scripture, it's pretty clear that the the primary, the, the base level, what a holy kiss is meant to be is a greeting, a warm greeting, simple. In the culture where Paul lived, greeting people with whom you were very close with a kiss was common practice. It was how people greeted each other. So Paul takes this and incorporates it into a church. And so when we meet each other and greet each other with a holy kiss in the early church, that was a way of signifying that we aren't sort of just acquaintances. We're brothers and sisters. We're close. So at the base level, it's a greeting that implies close connection. But we can say more than this. It's not simply a greeting. It's a greeting aimed at reconciliation. So when the people met and greeted each other with a holy kiss, it was a way not only of saying hello, it was a way of saying everything is good between us. We hold no grudges, we have no grievances. And so as part of the service, it would have fulfilled what Jesus instructed in Matthew 5, where he said, if you have something against your brother or your sister, don't come to the altar until you resolve that. The holy kiss would have been an embodiment 
of that resolution. And that sense of, of the kiss as reconciliation and not just greeting is something you see throughout Scripture. Mike read the parable of the prodigal son a little bit earlier. When the father sees the prodigal son coming down the road, he runs to him, embraces him, and he kisses him. That kiss is not just hello, it's a kiss of reconciliation. All is forgiven. You are welcome back. Jacob and Esau. Years after Jacob has stolen the birthright from Esau, and Esau was furious at the time, Jacob is finally reunited with Esau. What will Esau do? Esau runs to his brother. doesn't run. He goes to his brother, embraces him, and kisses him. And that's a kiss that's not just a hello, it's reconciliation. One more example. Joseph. Joseph's brothers had done him wrong, sold him into slavery. Joseph, years later, rises to become this incredibly powerful person in Egypt. Joseph's brothers come to him. He could smash them. Instead, he embraces them and he gives them a kiss. It's not just greeting, it's reconciliation. And when you look at the context of our passage, it's clear that Paul does have reconciliation on the mind because in the verse right before he tells us to kiss one another, he says, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace. So biblically speaking, this, this kiss is not just greeting, it's a kiss of greeting aimed at reconciliation. And in the early church, they did indeed try to practice this. If you would have gone to church in, say, 300 AD, one of these churches, and you're standing in the pew, at some point in the service, you would be expected to turn to the person next to you, and they would kiss you, and you would kiss them. Um, it's attested in multiple sources. Augustine talks about it. Tertullian, who's another one of the early church fathers, talks about it. And there's a book called The Apostolic Constitutions, which is a book of church order and liturgy, it also refers to this holy kiss. So for several hundred years, they would do this, and, and it looks like it would happen right after the sermon and then right before communion, which they had every Sunday. So again, it's, it's a sign that we've resolved everything between us before we go to the altar. So it was practiced at the beginning, but it ran into problems. I'll give you one guess what problems it ran into. Yes, that's right. Some people use the kiss of reconciliation as a road to romance. Or worse, unwanted advances. The church father, Clement of Alexandria, complained that the holy kiss was being used for lascivious purposes. And the problem got bad enough that eventually the practice went away. But still, in obedience to this command, this holy kiss thing... They tried to find other ways to do it, and they came up with something around 1000 AD. Many churches in Western Europe came up with something called a Pax Breda. A Pax Breda was a dish with a sort of a carving in the middle, carving of a lamb, a symbol of peace. And instead of kissing each other, everyone in the congregation was invited to come forward, and you would kiss the Pax Breda. And that would be the symbol of our unity in Christ. That ran into problems too, because people were invited forward in order of status. So the bishop went first, and then the priest, and then the deacon, and then the subdeacon, and then the highest people in the town, and then the lower people in the town, 
and eventually you would have this fight about who should kiss the Pax Breda first, about status. Here's an actual story that I read this week from 1522 in a parish in Essex in England, a man named John Brown, when the deacon offered him the Pax Breda, instead of kissing it, he took it and struck the deacon over the head with the Pax Breda, causing streams of blood to gush to the ground. Why did he do this? Well, for the second time in a row, he had offered the Pax Breda, the deacon had offered the Pax Breda to someone that John Brown thought was lower in status than him. And the week before, he'd said to the same deacon, and I quote, Clerk, if thou hereafter givest not me the Pax first, I shall break it upon thy head. Which he did. Christian fellowship at its best. This ritual that was supposed to be about coming together and equality in Christ ends up being something about status and something that causes division. More recently, the church has tried to obey this command for the holy kiss in another way. And I wonder if you can guess what that is. That's in mutual greetings or what they call the passing of the peace. And that's where we all turn to our neighbors and we greet them in the name of the Lord. That takes different forms, I think you know, in different churches. So in, in more formal churches, like Catholic churches or Anglican churches or Episcopal churches, it happens during communion. And you turn to your neighbor and you say, the peace of Christ be with you. And they turn to you and they say, the peace of Christ be with you. It's a formal exchange. In other, less liturgical churches, uh, it happens right at the beginning of the service and it's more of a, hi, how are you? How are you doing? And in some churches that gets so extended that people are running up and down the aisles and they're talking about their afternoon plans. And this, this sort of greeting can be a low roar of conversation that goes about three minutes long in the middle of the service. Some people absolutely love mutual greetings. It's a chance for us to express our unity and community. Some people absolutely hate mutual greetings, because it breaks the reverence of the service. At La Grave, we've talked about exchanging mutual greetings. Guess what? Some of you love the idea, and some of you absolutely hate the idea. And so again, this this ritual that is designed to bring people together, we've ended up saying, well, we can't do this because it's just going to cause more problem than it starts. And we can't have a ritual that's meant to cause, bring community end up bringing division. And so we do nothing. And, and so for some reason, repeatedly throughout church history, the capacity for human sin shows itself in that this, we can't seem to come up with something that we do for each other that won't cause us to turn against each other and won't cause us to end up fighting. What is going on here? I think part of the reason this is so hard for us is because what it does when you turn and greet your neighbor in whatever form you do it, it changes community in theory to community in reality. Right? Community in theory is one thing, but community in fleshy reality is always more messy. We love the idea of doing small groups in church. We want our church to be full of small groups, but actually committing to a small group where you have to come every other week and be with people who maybe aren't easy, that's a different story. 
We love the idea of being in a prayer and support group, but if that means praying beside Mrs. Vandersma, whose prayers are inordinately long and who uses the word just over and over again in her prayer, that's a different story. We love the idea of being one in Christ. We're totally committed to that idea. But if that means turning to my neighbor and having to greet that person, it's bad enough that I have to, to see that person who writes those terrible social media posts right in front of me in the pew, but to have to reach out and smile and take their hand, that's a bridge too far. Please understand me. I'm not here pushing some specific liturgical agenda. I'm not here hoping that we'll make some liturgical change because of this sermon. But I am lamenting the fact that it seems so hard. Because when we look at these five biblical texts, when we think about the way Jesus saved us by coming to us physically and getting close to us, when we consider the fact that Jesus touched the leopards and blessed the little children, and we consider the fact that his death for us, the thing that saves us, was this enormously physical act, it seems a shame that we cannot somehow physically, liturgically enact the unity we have in Christ. Maybe that's why Paul had to command this five times. Because community is hard. Do you think people in the early church wanted to greet each other with a holy kiss? Do you think a Samaritan wanted to greet a Jew with a holy kiss after all the things the Jewish people had done to them? Do you think a slave would want to greet his master with a holy kiss? Or... A master is slave, given the social ramifications of that. Do you think Simon the Zealot, a Jewish freedom fighter, was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, this pro-Israel guy, would want to give a kiss to Matthew, the tax collector and Roman sympathizer? Of course not. But they did. They did it. They did it. And when people saw these all those folks from different parts of the world coming together and being together as one, they realized that something special was happening here. Outsiders saw the unity that was formed and they said, look at how they love each other. And they realized that this was more than just ordinary friendliness. This was something of God and they wanted to know more about it. Perhaps it's no coincidence that Paul finishes his call to deep, tangible community by pointing to the source of all our community, the Holy Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A unity so close that you can't tell if it's three or can't tell if it's one. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, he says. If it's just up to the early church to make their unity, their human capacity can't do it. But they belong to God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the power of the Spirit in them can do what they cannot do. In God, all things are possible. And maybe that's also why, even though we are so divided, and really, unity amongst us is a human impossibility. And maybe that's why, at the end of every service, we raise our hands over you and say, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God 
and the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you. And then we send you out into the narthex and whether you greet one another with a holy kiss or a holy handshake or the elbow bump of fellowship, you will know that there is a power bigger than you working in you and in that power, we are one. Amen. Lord God, once again, out of the storm of our life, the ups and downs of our life, we come to this place and we turn our face towards you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we remember that we are not our own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to you. And we remember that our power to make things and, and make this world is not in ourself, but it comes from you. By your grace, Lord Jesus, by your love, Father, and by your fellowship, Holy Spirit, um, we know that we have hope in this world and that we are one. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.